Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, if we can have that first slide up, that would be great. Uh, thank you very much, Paul. Um, we've not, our computer is dying slowly but surely, and we are buying a new one, but that was brilliant. Well done. I thought I might need to wait a long time, but excellent for getting that up there. Um, on Friday, when Simon was going around saying, have we got stories, I nearly put my hand up, because on Friday, um, uh, I went to somebody's house uh, for a meeting, and actually it was, the, it was John... Timpson. I don't know if you ever had your shoes fixed at John Timpson's or just Timpson. So he owns a very large number of uh, shoe shops and cuts keys, etc., and all sorts of things. And he's a really, really amazing chap. And he was telling us that over the 30 years that he was, when he was married with his wife, his wife had sadly passed away, um, he, they both together actually fostered and adopted uh, 90 children which is just amazing, isn't it, over 30 years. And what was really, really lovely that is there was a lot of people who were there who were sort of key leaders across the northwest who had responsibility for trying to make sure that those children that go into the care system do as well as they should do. Um, and it was really interesting to hear his views about that as well. But he did say that actually as he was talking, he says, and there's one of my children, Ollie, and he pointed to this chap that was just two sort of seats away from me. And it just really struck me that he called Ollie one of his children. And as we come to this passage today, we are talking about being born again. And born again into the family of God. So that God can say to us, she's one of my children. He's one of my children. It was really good because he then said to Ollie, he had adopted him, he fostered him at six and adopted him at the age of seven. And he then said, in, as he was talking to us, he said, Ollie, what was, when, how old were you when you stole that car from me? So these weren't children that came all nice and ready. These were challenging children that he'd changed their lives and was proud to call them his children. As we went in through the front door, outside the front door stood Mr. Timpson's very, very large Bentley. So I did mean to say after Ollie, was it a Bentley that you stole? Because um, I could imagine um, that it was very good. But Ollie did tell me that he only drove 70 miles an hour down the motorway because he didn't want to try get attention to himself. But um, <laughs> let's move on. We're going to see it. Now you've probably read this passage many, many times before. So have I. You've probably heard of lots and lots of sermons as well on this passage. So we come to a passage that probably is very well known, but what we want to do is try to see whether God has got anything to teach us from this as we read it again this morning. And it's all about this chap called Nicodemus. And I want to talk a little bit about Nicodemus first of all, so that we can just put this into context. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and Pharisees were very, very good at using the five first books of our Bible and looking at what God tells you to do and not to do in those five books, and then actually adding a bit more onto them to try and clarify what that means. So if it says, rest on a Sabbath, then the Pharisees would give you 101 different things that you shouldn't do on a Sabbath because that meant you were resting. So he was one of those sorts of people. And actually, he was actually just more than just the odd ordinary Pharisee. He was part of a, gr a group called the Sanhedrin. So he was a member of the Supreme Court of the Jews. Now, when we talk about Pharisees, we often think they're the bad people, don't we? 
they get a bit of a bad reputation whenever we read it in the Bible because Jesus said actually sometimes of, of Pharisees that they're, you know, they're, they're evil snipers, I think he says at one point. So they don't get a good um, description. We don't feel very good about them. You know, if it was in a pantomime, I'm sure they'd be the people that we were booing when they came on. But I want to just challenge that when we think about Nicodemus. Because I don't think Nicodemus was like that. And the biggest clue to me is that actually we read this right at the end of, or near the end of, John's Gospel. Let me read it to you. The burial of Jesus. So Jesus has died on the cross and these two people are going to bury him. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came to took and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about, 20, about 75 pounds were taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in, the stri- in strips of lim- linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which one had, had ever, no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, we don't get told, in this bit in John 3, what Nicodemus, actually went off to think or decide or make decisions or make any commitment. But it seems to me that you wouldn't do that unless you really, really thought Jesus was important. So here, I believe, is a man that was changed through his encounter with Jesus. And we're starting a series on people who get an encounter with Jesus. And Nicodemus is one of those. And I believe that when we read this in John chapter 3, this isn't Nicodemus trying to catch Jesus out, trying to have an argument with him. This is Nicodemus just being honest with Jesus and trying to work out in his own head who Jesus was. But the first thing we read in John chapter 3, and this is really important, was that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now, why did he come to Jesus at night? Well, some people say that that if you were a Pharisee, there's somewhere written down that you're told that if you really want to study something, if you really want to get into it, then you do it at night time. But actually, let's remind ourselves that here was Nicodemus, a Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, someone quite high up in the Jewish society. He was probably a bit worried about what people would say if they saw him engaging with Jesus. So Nicodemus went to see Jesus at night. And that's the first point that I want to make this morning. You know, when people discover Jesus, they sometimes need to discover Jesus from a safe place. And that's really important. And for some people, here... you going, Joe? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And for some people, church isn't a safe place. Because it's the unknown. And it's got you lot sitting here and me standing at the front. And that's an unknown. It's not a safe place. Sitting out on the bench might be. Talking to you over the garden fence might be. 
Talking to somebody who is your friend might be. Talking to someone who brings it up in the conversation might be. Jesus didn't say to Nicodemus, oh, this is a strange time for someone to come and ask me start asking questions. Uh, I'm not talking to you just now. Come and see me in the morning. Jesus knew that it was a safe place for Nicodemus to go and see Jesus. And we need to think about that as we try to help, encourage, um, challenge people to discover Jesus for themselves. You know, street pastors, as Alan was talking, is he still awake? Um, He is, yeah. Uh, He was out last night. For some people, that one-to-one conversation is the safe place for them. And then Nicodemus and Jesus get into this whole sort of discussion around being born again. And um, Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they can't enter into a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now you could read that two ways, couldn't you? You could just say, well, Nicodemus is just trying to say, actually, Jesus, you're talking rubbish. You really are talking rubbish. But actually, I think Nicodemus was really, his little cogs in his brain were really turning around. What do you really mean about that? What do you really mean about that? And actually, I do wonder whether Nicodemus was saying, actually, Jesus, if I could just start again, I would really, really like to. When I look back on my life and I see some of the things that I've done wrong, if I could just stop and start again, I wouldn't make those mistakes. I'm sure you're probably a bit like me, but I feel like that sometimes. You know, if I just woke up again and did that day again, I wouldn't have got cross at that person. I would have just tried to keep calm. I wouldn't have just gone over the speed limit. I would have kept to it. I wouldn't have had an argument with my wife. Just sat there and listened. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Um... So I don't know, what's Nicodemus really, really trying to grapple with, actually, this whole idea that, yeah, Jesus, if that could happen, if that was really the way that it worked, boy, would I be for that. So then Jesus, again, talks to him about what it means to be born again. And, um, and Jesus says this really interesting thing. He says, you should not be surprised, Nicodemus, about me saying about being born again. Why are you so, so surprised about that as a concept? Now, why does he say that? Well, if we look back, and Nicodemus should have known this, we read about other occasions in um, Scripture where actually, um, and things that have happened in Scripture, which Nicodemus would have known about, when God spoke to the people. Let me read you this one from Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This newness This starting again is something that Nicodemus will have heard about. 
um, that had happened many, many years before. This wasn't really a new concept. And when, we talk, when the Bible talks about heart, it doesn't talk about that thing up there that's sort of pulsating inside you now as you, as you sit there. The heart for the people in the, uh, of those times was the, sort of the very thing that made you who you are. The thing that drives you to do the things that you do. The thing that drives you to make the decisions that you make. Right down deep in our hearts. That's when, that's what Jesus was saying. That I will, you know, you, can, you, can you not remember when God said to his people that I would give you a new heart? It's all the same thing. And, and Jesus goes on to say to Nicodemus, I have spoken to you of earthly things, so I've tried to describe all of this in the language of being reborn, but you don't believe me. And how then will you believe me if I start to speak of heavenly things, if I really start to get serious? Because Jesus would have known that Nicodemus was a really intellectual chap, being one of those Sanhedrin. And he's saying, you don't even understand the very basics. What, do you, what are you going to do when I start to get really serious and talk about some really heavy stuff? Now, when I was looking at this, one of the commentaries said, it's a bit like this. When you drive a car, you turn the key and the engine starts, hopefully, and you drive away. And you don't need to understand how the engine's working. You just know that when you switch that switch on, hopefully it will work and you will drive. I'm not really very happy with that analogy. Because actually... I think if I spent a long, 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 long time, I could actually work out why a car starts and what all the different bits in the engine, how they work. And so could you if you studied it long enough. I can't do that with God. And too often we try to limit our God by thinking that we will be able to understand him. We can't. He is so big, he is so powerful, he is so majestic, we cannot fathom out who God is in his entirety. We will do one day when we're with him, and we'll probably be a bit embarrassed about all the things that we said down here about God. God is so big that we can't fathom him out. We can talk about our experiences of him, we can talk about what we know of him, but don't limit it to that. You know, the universe and the, the, the earth that we stand on or sit on at the moment now might just be a speck of God's amazing power. Let's not limit God because to our understanding. And why not? Well, actually, that's why Jesus went on to say this about Moses. And if you, um, you can read this story in the Old Testament, there was a time when lots of people were being bitten by horrible snakes and Moses had to make this... Um, this, this snake out of a sort of a, uh, I don't know what he made it of. Simon, do you know what he made the snake out of? Bronze. Oh, it's bronze. Is it out there? No, bronze. Yes, see? I'm glad you weren't going to college. Um, and he put this stick up, and uh, this, this cross up with, this, with the snake on it. People who saw that, and now this is the important bit, it wasn't the fact that there was this image of a snake and that he rose it up. It was that people, when they saw it, had to believe that God was going to protect them. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be lifted up that everyone who believes 
may have eternal life. And apparently that lifted up word that's used in the Bible there is about literally being lifted up, so lifted up on the cross and lifted up in terms of going uh, up to heaven. So Jesus is saying, just as those people, when Moses had that snake and they looked at it and they believed, it helped them believe that God was going to protect them, we see the lifted Christ on the cross. And when we see Jesus on the cross, we can believe how much he loves us. How much he loves us. So we can't understand everything about God. And Jesus says, in the end you need to believe in me. And belief is all about trust and faith and confidence in. And if we believe in Jesus like that, then he'll call us one of his children. And then we come up to this amazing verse, don't we? Uh, and I would imagine that there's lots of people that would have learnt this many, many years ago and will be able to recite this verse. You know, it's a really good verse to actually use when you're talking to people um, who are perhaps asking questions about Christianity. It's a really good verse to actually talk about when you're just really trying to engage with them because in, a, in one sense, in a nutshell, it tells us everything because it was God that loved the world and because he loved us, he gave his son so that whoever believes, there's the word, believes in him will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life as it is in this version. And then after that verse, and we read it in John 3, God, uh, Jesus goes on to talk about some other stuff. And uh, he says that Jesus wasn't sent to condemn the world, and, and so on and so on. And he says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And the problem that most of us have when we're talking to other people is that most other people are really, really nice people. Sometimes I speak to people who aren't Christians and I know they're much nicer than me. Much, much nicer than me. And I think that what we have to say here is that actually we do need to talk about that stuff called sin that the Bible's very, very clear about. We all sin, we all do wrong. Sometimes we don't intend to do it because our intentions are good. I often get home from work and intend to be really nice and cheerful and do everything in the house that needs doing. But that intention often doesn't lead to action. And I think what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, you know what, you're a Pharisee, I know you're a Pharisee, you're even a Sanhedrin from the Sanhedrin. You know all of the rules that Jews have to follow. And you're really good at doing that. But actually that's not the point. That's not the point. Unless you believe in Jesus, actually you're just going down the wrong route. You're just going down the wrong route. So through this account of Jesus' Jesus's encounter with Nicodemus, we can perhaps just remind ourselves that everybody needs to start to discover Jesus in a very safe space. 
Think about what that might mean. It might, not, it might mean that you don't invite someone to Church Lane to start off with. You just talk to them about your own personal faith. And Nicodemus had to be told that actually, you know, there's something... We can't get rid of our past. But actually, if we're born again, if we're born again, Jesus just washes it away. Let's not limit God to what we can understand. Let's remind ourselves that we, if we believe in him, and we're honest about what we do that's wrong, and ask for forgiveness, then Jesus, then Jesus will call us one of his children. And um, when I was listening to John Timpson and he was telling us about Ollie and the fact that he'd stolen his car, uh, I, think he was, I think he was 14, Ollie said, to, said that he was 14 when he stole the car. So that was seven years into being adopted. Because actually this, lots of children, if they have a very, very bad start in life, it takes a long, long time, a long, long time for them sometimes to, to get into a much more settled position. And uh, he said... And I've got, I really, really love, I really, really love Ollie, he said. He said, Ollie, and I know that, you, that, that uh, I got the car back in the end, so it wasn't too bad. He said, but then, when was it that you stole my quad bike? And apparently Ollie had, had got on his quad bike and driven that to somewhere. And he said, but I did say, I did say, didn't I, Dad? And it's lovely that he called him Dad as well. He said, I did say, Dad, I left a note on the quad bike saying, return to owner. Now, if he stole the car when he was 14, I don't know how old he was when he stole the quad bike. We're probably going to do something that isn't good this week, aren't we? But if we believe that Jesus died for us and we ask for his forgiveness, then all that's important to God is that he will call us his children. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that Nicodemus went to see Jesus we are amazed that when we read later on in John's Gospel that Nicodemus was there putting your body, Jesus, in that tomb. And dear Lord Jesus, we come to you because we know that you died for us on the cross and you rose again and that what you want us to do is to be born again into your family. You don't want us to forget the past, but we need to say sorry for it. And when we've said sorry for it, then you will forgive us. Lord, I pray for anyone that is here today that hasn't been born again into your family. I pray that you may speak to them. And I pray that they may too come to believe in you so that you can call them one of your children. And we pray for all the conversations that we're going to have this week with our families and with the people we know, the people we work with, our next door neighbours, the people that we see in the supermarket, uptown here. Lord, I pray that we might be able to use that John 3.16 for God so loved the world in our conversation. Take us and use us to glorify your name. Amen.